Well, uh, my name is uh, Brett Bartlett, and uh, uh, we're here to talk about the, uh, the, the King James Bible. Um, <coughs> and uh, should, be, should be entertaining with we nary a piece of literature fundamentalists talking about such high and lofty intellectual things as the King James Bible, but, you know, um, suffer fools gladly and we'll have a good time this week. A few things I want to get off my chest and, and we'll get started. Uh, first of all, um, <coughs> I uh, am taking some medication right now, as some of you might have guessed. Uh, <laughs> this particular medication that I'm on, it's not serious, but it does have the effect of, uh, of dehydrating, so I have to drink a lot of water and that, that might get a little annoying. And it also gives me a problem with my throat that causes me to cough a lot. And so <coughs> if I do a lot of that, I'm sorry, this is poorly timed. And if I, if I do a lot of, uh, you know, drinking, then um <coughs> at least it's water. Okay, so <coughs> internal evidence. <coughs> um, I'm going to be speaking largely from the perspective of internal evidence. Um, and uh, the cobra, who will be striking soon... Uh, <coughs> he will be talking about external evidence. What that means is I am tasked with the job of presenting this information from the Word of God alone. Um, <coughs> now, there is a whole other aspect to this. Uh, we have to be able to know what our opponents think and how they think and what is their authority so that we can be able to understand how they're thinking as much as uh, you know, we understand our own. If you can't do that, if you don't know uh, what the opponent knows, if, it were, um, if you look at it uh, competitively, I don't. That was a joke. Um, <coughs> uh, then, then you're only half educated. And so you're going to get both perspectives. What I'm going to be doing is just talking about the finished product itself. Internally, from the Word of God, the Bible in your lap, if you believe that that is the Word of God, then what does the Word of God say about the Word of God both the Word and the Word of God. Okay, so there's that. And this first session that we have, if you have your notes there, it's called a high view or highest view. And we'll be talking about what that means if you have not been able to put that together. You're going to know what I mean by that very soon. Subtitled, A Biblical Point of Departure for the Problem of Preservation. Now, we don't have a lot of time and I've got to move quickly, so we're just going to go right through it. Uh, and we're going to start with this question. And that is, what do you feel like is the most important attribute of God? What is the most important attribute of God? Now, we could do a show of hands and all of that, but as you can see, we're in a big hurry, okay? We've got a, as Smokey and the Bandit once said, a long way to go and a short time to get there. Okay, so, <coughs> so the most important attribute of God is that he speaks. That is his most important attribute for this reason, if he had never spoken, you wouldn't know about any other attribute or doctrine of God. As a matter of fact, you wouldn't specifically know anything about God had he not chosen to speak. And this is why we believe, <clears throat> because of what we believe about the internal evidence of the word of God alone, there really is no need for this thing that some people called theology. Okay, theology is simply man's philosophical uh, 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 speculations about ideas that have been taken from sp the specific revelation of God's word. 
And that's all that it is. It's philosophical speculation. So, so we don't, we're not going to concern ourselves with theology because we believe that the only specific revelation that there is of God to man is the actual written word of God. So, so for us, theology, the study of God, is just an analysis of the specific words of God rightly divided in their context. There is no other theology. Okay? Theology actually is not the study of God out in the world. It's the philosophy of God. One of the ways that you can know this is this. If you get the most advanced degree <clears throat> in the field of theology, then what you get is a what? You get a PhD. Isn't that right? A PhD? And what does that PH stand for? Somebody help me. Oh, see, you went, you went to seminary to learn the Bible, but you know what they did with you? They turned you into a philosopher, didn't they? Well, you got a philosophy degree. Well, congratulations. <laughs> they gave you a degree in the very thing that the word of God tells you will spoil your faith. My, 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 my. Real theology concerns itself with three questions. Is there a God? Did he say anything? And what did he say? That's all that theology is. And responding affirmatively to the first two inquests are patently absurd apart from a certainty of the third. Do you have the words that God spake to reveal himself? That's the question. It's a simple enough question. It's easily enough framed. I put as many monosyllabic terms in there as I could. Do you have them or not? I didn't say the word. I didn't say the doctrines. I didn't say the fundamentals, the ideas, the main teachings, the important stuff. Do you or do you not have access to every one of God's words in a book in your language? There is not a more important question that I could possibly ask. In other words, let's just put it this way. With the thing that you have in your lap right now, and hopefully that is not the Novum Testamentum Gracchae. Okay? Okay. Or Alan Nessel's 27th edition. But we'll get to that later. You know. When you read Matthew 4 4, do you feel like you have the ability to fulfill that command with what God has given you? Do you really believe that you have the ability, you, you have the ability with what you have in your lap? to fulfill the command to live by every word of God. That's what this conference is about. Do you know how you communicate to men? Do you know how God chose to communicate with Adam? The same way he chose to bring organized matter into existence, with words. And all the while, while God was doing that, there was something 
someone else who didn't belong in the conversation. Listening to those words and devising a plan to place the emphasis off of the words and on to ideas, knowing that if he could do this, he could come along as an interpreter to explain what he wanted the ideas to mean. This explanation, however, would have to sound close enough to what was originally stated as to pass to somebody who is stupid as the same thing. That's the point. Thus, his words, as a self-proclaimed, self-appointed interpreter of the Bible, were actually just postulations, philosophy, eisegesis, drawn from ideas about what God said, theology, presented as a replacement of what God actually said, truth, exegesis, as the final authority. But to pull this off, he would have to first convince a bride to trade in just one word for a promised experience of a lifetime. Now, according to a comparison of 1 Timothy 3, 16, 1 John 5, 7, and John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 14, when God chose to appear to man incorporeal, he opts for the moniker, the word. The greatest revelation of invisible God manifesting himself to creation was and is his image, the eternal person of Jesus Christ in the flesh. If God would have been content, and it fairly boggles the mind that he wasn't, but if he would have been content to stay in his high and holy place, Isaiah chapter 57, then his glory would never have been put on display to men thus leaving us with no vehicle to house the agent required to be shed for our forgiveness and propitiation, proffering access to the agent that needed to be shed for our forgiveness. The word had to become flesh and blood, subsequently resisting temptation, suffering wrongfully, the just for the unjust, bleed, die, and rise again, flesh and bones this time. There would be no regeneration without this. How a sinner like myself could possibly have fellowship with and enjoy the presence of holy, sinless, eternal, sovereign God who fills heaven and earth or how he can sit a young man down by a sea that he made and cook fish that he spake into existence over a fire which he had prepared on a shore that he caused to appear in Genesis 1, who at that same time, I might add, prepared a fire of 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit that would actually provide that same young man light and warmth while he eats the meal that he has prepared for him, breathing oxygen that he created, and smiling as he see he sees that young man's enjoyment of the whole thing, that young man staring back into that awesome being through the windows of his human eyes, how that is possible, if not unfathomable, but for this, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. Jesus the incarnate word. And just as he teaches how perfect 
and how mysterious and how powerful and inexplicable and amazing and fathomless and past finding out and exclusive, remember that, dear brothers and sisters. So the Bible teaches that the Bible itself, the carnate word, if you will, is just as mysterious and just as perfect and just as powerful and just as inexplicable and just as amazing and just as fathomless and just past finding out and just as exclusive. And you either believe that or you don't, but don't say out of one side of your mouth that you believe in the plenary, verbally inspired, perfectly preserved word of God, and then out of the other side of your mouth, get up in front of the church of God, sell out your birthright, and correct it 15 times a message. Make a decision. The word of God and its claims about himself in the word of God will, rev- will actually reveal your quote-unquote high view of Scripture. You know what the Bible says about itself? This is the Word of God's testimony about the Word of God. God is spirit. Now, if there's one thing I grow weary of in Laodicea, it is so-called Christians and so-called preachers and so-called churches forever going around apologizing for the Word of God. And deigning to call this apology, this non-stop apology tour of the word of God, ministry, or preaching, so help me. You listen to the radio or you read some book in a Christian bookstore, which by the way, a bigger oxymoron you will never find than a Christian bookstore. Being worse in my estimation than jumbo shrimp, government organization, and 12-ounce pound cake. (laughs) but I digress. (laughs) Anyway, you listen to these posers, and do you know what they're actually doing about half the time? They're apologizing for the Bible. That's what they're doing. They're apologizing for the Bible to scientists, to cults, to politicians, to Marxists, to archaeologists, to carnal Christians, to feminists, to educators, apologizing to every group of people on this planet that the word of God condemns. To every group that stands in naked aggression against the person of Jesus Christ. And do you know what they're apologizing for, friends? If you analyze what they're saying, they are actually apologizing for the words in the Bible. Every time CNN or the History Channel comes out with a new scientific finding, (gasps) isn't it wonderful to be ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth? (laughs) You can be sure that there will be some ambiguously heterosexual neo-Calvinist 58-year-old with a facelift and skinny jeans on a bar stool with an iPad mini in front of an 80-inch television screen flashing 27 different versions of the Bible, calling himself a preacher, telling his congregation that we must remember that the Bible is not a scientific textbook. 
It's almost as if they forgot or maybe never knew that the Bible is farther above this world's collective human intellect and scientific textbooks or devices that they could ever manufacture than heaven is higher than the earth. And this morning I intend to open and allege just such a case. Listen, I hold in my hand an authorized King James Bible. And even people who claim they believe that walk around so timid to say it, you would almost think that it's called Rumpelstiltskin. I hold in my hand an authorized King James Bible. Do you know what my opinion is of this book? It's the same opinion that I have of God. Oh, well, you're a bibliolater. We'll get to that in a second, friend. Just wait. Just wait. Everything I see about him, I see in this book. As a matter of fact, you couldn't name a single attribute of God that you not only know exists because of his word, but also cannot be said about his word, or that his word does not produce. Do you ever consider that? What do you know about the person of God specifically that you would have known apart from the revelation of the word of God? Friend, the answer to that question is nothing. And what part of the word of God is not equivalent to very God? There's a challenge for you. Go home and chew on that one for a while. What part of God is not eternal? Because if every part of God is eternal, you would have to extend that virtue to his breath. And if God's breath is eternal, then you don't need multiple acts of inspiration no matter what language it's going to, because his eternal breath goes out from language to language in all the earth and even into the universe, not needing second acts of inspiration because inspiration doesn't expire. Ergo, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so we know that God is a spirit. He exists both above and outside his creation. All right, first, how do you know that about God? You know that because it was re revealed to you in the word of God. If there was a 1% chance that there was an error in John 4, 24, there is a 1% chance that that's not true. And if you don't know where the errors are, no matter how small the percentage of errors then you don't know when it pops up. And if you don't know when it pops up, that means no matter what percentage of error there is, you're always dependent on some man who knows more languages than you do to tell you where it is every time. You see, friend, that is the problem, isn't it? As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things saith he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, his disciples murmured at it. I said his disciples murmured at it. He said unto them, Does this offend you? Oh, are you offended by my stance on the King James Bible? Are you offended by my ethnocentrism? You think that scares me? Do you think that intimidates me? I'm offended by you. Why doesn't that matter? 
I'm offended by your lack of faith in the word of God. Does that matter? Does final authority offend you? What an if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The God is a spirit. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. And they are life. And now look what he says. But there are some of you that believe not. You know, there are people who actually identify themselves as the disciples of Jesus Christ on this planet today that don't believe the word of God when the word of God says that the incarnate word is spirit and life, and yet the incarnate word himself came down to the planet with this message. The words that I speak, they are also spirit and life. Now Jesus said in John 6 that this was the case. Brothers and sisters, every time you open this book, a spiritual transaction takes place. The spirit of God, which is life, which is in you, reacts to the word of God, which is itself spirit and life. Not paper and ink. Not paper and ink. Spirit and life. Now ye not only know that about God because of the revelation of the word of God, but that the revelation has the same vital properties of the God that it is revealing. Now brothers and sisters, that's mind-blowing. Jesus said, speaking of his essence, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am what? What is Jesus, the incarnate word? What is he? I am the way exclusive, the truth exclusive, the life exclusive. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. All right, now let's compare scripture with scripture. Radical idea, I know, if you're going to interpret scripture, but let's give it a whirl. 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one. as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. Well, which is, which, which is perfect, God or the word of the Lord? John 17, 17, sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth. The incarnate word said he was truth. And then he said his words are truth. John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The incarnate word said, I am life. You know what else he said was life? His words. Psalm 18, 28 through 32, for thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. The entrance of thy word giveth light, for by thee I have run through a troop, And by my God have I leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? And who is the rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and make thy way perfect. Listen, there are no other words found anywhere on this planet that you can say that about. Friends, if all we had to do was go on internal evidence alone, then who could doubt that the reason all of these pastors and educators are so hell-bent on giving you less of an opinion about the Bible is because they are the tares of whom Jesus warned, which would be sown among the wheat to blind you to just how special and just how pure 
and just how powerful and just how wonderful this book really is. You see, if you didn't believe this book was that amazing, you either wouldn't read it, or if you did, you wouldn't benefit from having so done because you wouldn't have read it in faith without which it is impossible to please God. Or, as Paul commended the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh in you that believe. The word of God cannot do its effectual work without you reading it when you read it as if it were God speaking himself. And if you read the Bible, it doesn't matter how much you read the Bible. If you don't believe that what you're reading are the very actual words of God, it will not do the effectual work that it can do. I grew up in the Ozarks. I don't know why I'm proud of that. <laughs> if you've been to the Ozarks, it's a mystery. <clears throat> but I am. I grew up at a, a Baptist church, the largest Baptist church in Missouri in its day. Pretty impressive, huh? <clears throat> in second grade, I had to make a construction model of the temple out of popsicle sticks and Elmer's glue. I had to explain what every part of the temple meant, <clears throat> why it was significant, and what its doctrinal equivalent was in the New Testament. At that same church, today, in second grade, people are watching cartoon musicals of cucumbers <laughs> fighting some gay French-accented peas. So freaking help me. Wonder what happened. <clears throat> this unmakeuped, drably adorned, horn rim glassed, gray hair in a bun, second grade Sunday school teacher, who was probably somewhere around 75 years old back in 1981, <clears throat> gave me the first Bible I ever received as a gift. A few years back, I was told this church came out with a statement explaining their high view of Scripture. Don't want to give any names away, you understand. <clears throat> Although, oddly, <clears throat> at that church, and I know this because I was there, that used to go without saying. <clears throat> I wonder why it would be that an organization would feel the need to clarify that point especially at a time when that administration is seemingly taking a somewhat lower view of Scripture than its previous generations. If not, to rather clumsily exculpate itself from the obvious. <clears throat> this old hair bun second grade teacher 
wrote something inside the Bible she gave me. She wrote two things. I'll never forget it. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. She also wrote this. It's the first time I had ever seen it. No God, no peace, you know. No God, no peace, K-N-O-W. The day she gave me that Bible, she taught on Psalm 12, 6 through 8. I remember it like it was yesterday. The words of the Lord are pure words. <clears throat> As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. You know, it's a funny thing. I believed that then. And you know what I started doing? I started going home every night, unprompted by my parents. <clears throat> and I started reading seven chapters because I thought that that's what it meant. So help me. Seven chapters every night before I went to bed. Imagine that. And you know what? I understood most of those words. I was in the second grade. Imagine a second grader understanding the archaic and confusing syntax of a King James Bible. Kind of like Josiah, an eight-year-old. Eight-year-old. Eight-year-olds at Wildwood walk around with their zipper undone and their fingers up their nose, bumping into walls and getting lost in the parking lot. <laughs> this eight-year-old read the words of Scripture and commanded that an entire kingdom get right with the Lord. Don't tell me about Shakespearean English. The problem isn't the King James Bible. The problem is you're either a liar or you're illiterate. That's not a problem with God, friend. And I still remember the feeling that that gave me every night before I went to bed. Kind of felt like Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law. You have peace, friend. Your kids have peace. I wonder if seven chapters in a King James Bible a night might do more for them than keep them hopped up on Ritalin for the rest of their lives. Uh-oh, now he left preaching and gone to Metlin. It would be many years later while attending a Bible college in the same town as this church, a college which also now professes to have a high view of Scripture. Watch out for that term, friend. Which again, if you'll humor me for just a moment, and I promise I'll get back to teaching. But that rather begs a question, doesn't it? I mean, what other kind of view of Scripture would a Bible college have? I mean, it's of little comfort, isn't it? That a fundamental Bible college, which has been around since the early 1950s, has at long last arrived at a position of a high view of Scripture. What stallions of truth. Why, if the good Lord should tarry, one dares to dream what awaits us in the intervening decades. Perchance, a strongly 
written letter from the trustees detailing their uncompromising stance of thinking awfully well of Jesus. Or an official creed boldly stating their lofty estimation of redemption. Again, I digress. Alas, it would be here at this unnamed school that a professor would teach me that that same passage I learned is but a wee lad. Psalm 12, 6, and 7 was an unfortunate mistranslation. Had to go to college to learn that. <coughs> a Bible college with a high view of Scripture, BTW. What we was actually talking about was people, not words, that the Lord promised to preserve. You know what? <coughs> Just as I once believed my old second grade Sunday school teacher with the faith of a child years before, so I began to believe that educated, brilliant college professor, which led me to believing him just about every other time he opened his mouth to correct the word of God, which was probably about 10 to 15 times a class. It's a funny thing, too, because you know what happened to me during that time of my life? I stopped reading my Bible. You see, folks, my point is this. Satan is either going to keep those words from your eyes or he's going to keep them from your heart the latter usually begetting the former because this is all about a spiritual battle, isn't it? Amen. Well, don't worry, the Lord eventually straightened me out. I was reading Psalm 12 one day and the Spirit spoke to me. You know what he said? He said, Bartlett, you're so vain you probably think this psalm is about you. <laughs> All right, well, God is perfect. God doesn't have a flaw. He's not basically good. He's not mostly good. I don't prefer God to other gods that are a lot like him. God has never done anything wrong. God cannot be charged with well-intended uh, accidents or moments of cognitive dissonance or mistakes or regrettable moments of weakness or oopsie-daisies. God doesn't make scribal errors. God is holy. He is pure. God is perfect. Guess what? So is his book. Psalm 19, 7 through 11. <clears throat> the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned and in keeping of them. There is great reward. God is perfect. His word is perfect. That's what's meant by a faith-based view of revelation. A faith-based view of preservation. We begin with faith. We don't end there. We don't work backwards from history and archaeology and manuscripts into a position of faith. We start with the word of God. My justification for the believing that the King James Bible is the word of God is the King James Bible. And I don't care if you think that that's silly or embarrassing. I intend to turn the worm on your view this week, friend. 
<clears throat> if God wasn't perfect, if his word wasn't perfect, then how could I be sure that his revelation was perfect? When his revelation of himself is that he is perfect, how could I trust that he is perfect? How would I know? And what would be the exception to that rule in Scripture? And if biblically you can't find an exception in the Word of God where the Word of God makes exact equivalency of perfection and power to the incarnate and the carnate, then how could any view of Scripture, no matter how high, that fell short of the orthodox view of Jesus Christ be high enough? As it turns out, bibliolatry just means, I think this book is perfect and you don't. But to say you have a high view of Scripture, and then if anybody else has a higher view, that they're idolatrous. Well, I can hardly think of a more idolatrous thing to say. God is eternal, Hebrews 1. But under the sun he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above his fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth the garment. And as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Hebrews 1 tells us that one day God is going to take every bit, every atom, every quark, every particle, all dark matter, all heavy matter, all antimatter, and with great noise is going to fold them up as a garment, but thou, O Lord, are forever. You see, what's true about physical matter isn't true about himself, is it? Because God is a spirit, existing both outside and above his creation. Do you know what God is? He's a spirit. Do you know who God is? He says, I am. Do you know how long he's been around? He says, from everlasting. Do you know how long he will endure? He says, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And you know what, friend? Do you know what? He says the same thing about his word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Inspiration doesn't expire. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. We'll get back to that. This book is eternal. The words in this book are eternal, just like God. <clears throat> so here we have before us, ladies and gentlemen, an amazing phenomenon. We can keep right on going with this. We could do this for the rest of the conference. You can't name an attribute of God that can't be said of the Bible or is produced by the Bible any more than you can find an error in an authorized King James Bible. And I dare you to try. And it's very important you understand this biblical logic because it leads you to conclusions about Bible versions and textual criticism. Observe the written words high view of the written word of God by comparing itself to the incarnate word of God. You ready? Here we go. <clears throat> Righteous art thou, O Lord, 
incarnate word. Psalm 119, 37. Thy testimonies thou hast commanded are righteous. Written word, Psalm 119, 138. Everybody got the pattern? Let's roll. <clears throat> Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, 1 Peter 2, 6. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days, 1 Samuel 3, 1. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, John 14, 6. Sanctify them with thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven, John 3, 13. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, Psalm 119, 89. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, John 4, 24. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life, John 6, 63. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, Matthew 5, 48. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, Psalm 19.7. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, Deuteronomy 33.27. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, Matthew 24.35. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall, uh, shall be ended, Isaiah 60.20. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Job 4, 17. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Proverbs 35. The Lord, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Judges eleven twenty seven. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. John twelve forty eight. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. Numbers six twenty four. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, Revelation 1, 3. And kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful, Ezra 6, 22. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, Jeremiah 15, 16. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts, 1 Chronicles 28, 9. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Hebrews 4, 12. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3 Wherefore comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 But the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and stretched out arm, him shall ye fear and him shall ye worship and to him shall ye do sacrifice. 2 Kings 17.36 for the word of God is quick and powerful. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Genesis 21, 33. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. Psalm 119, 144. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in these shall all the nations of the earth be, best, uh, be blessed. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 8. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Exodus 15, 2. My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to my word. Psalm 119, 28. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Romans 11, 2. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. 
saying, And these shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Galatians 3.8, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. Psalm 27.18, Open now mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Psalm 119.18, O Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and hardened our heart from thy fear? Isaiah 63.17, Thou hast rebuked the proud that are cursed which do err from thy commandments, Psalm 119, 21. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, Psalm 63, 6. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes, Psalm 119, 48. Thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord, Isaiah 58, 14. Thy testimonies are also my delight and my counselors, Psalm 119, 24. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding, exceeding much and largest of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore, 1 Kings 4, 29, the entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple, Psalm 119 and 130. I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom ye believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and called those things which be not as though they were, Romans 4, 17, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word has quickened me. Psalm 119, 50. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. First Chronicles 6, 34. God, uh, good is the word of the Lord, which thou hast spoken. Second Kings 20, 19. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. Psalm 33, 22. My soul fainteth for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. Psalm 119, 18. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Deuteronomy 6, 5. My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. Psalm 119, 48. Ask if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Second Chronicles 15, 12. Whore hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. Psalm 119, 53. So are the paths of all that forget God. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget my word. Learn of me. Learn my commandments. The Lord is known. I make known my words. Christ be in you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Ye have chosen you, the Lord. Choose thy precepts. Except a man be born again. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of the Lord, which liveth forever. I will be thou clean, Matthew 8, 3. Clean through thy word, John 15, 3. Hated me before it hated you, John 15, 18. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the Lord, Proverbs 1, 29. Despiteth not man but God, 1 Thessalonians 4, 8. Despiseth the word, published throughout the whole city, published throughout all the region. I am the life, the word is life. The blind to see, enlighten thine eyes. Bread of life, eat of me, eat my words. Thy name, O Lord, endureth forever, and thy memorial, O Lord, throughout all generations. Psalm 135, 13. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 25. You can't separate God from this book. And I stink and dare you to try, man. I dare you to try. Time would fail me to make my point 
further. So suffice it to say, the testimony of the word, about the word, concerning the word, compared to the word, is that they are both tried, right, produce rejoicing and reward. They both run and speak and conclude and raise up and reveal and revive. They both can be eaten and both are sweet to the taste. Neither can be broken. They both work. They both have mercy. They are both said to be wonderful and counselor. They both give understanding. They both quicken, create, are good, are longed for, and are our hope and rejoicing and consolation, just as they can both be confessed before men, and they can both be declined from, to change your opinion, to decline from your stance on this book. Even if it's a stance that you took in second grade, is to change your opinion of God. God is immutable. He doesn't change. He doesn't change for anything or anyone. Certainly not for times. Certainly not for men. God does not exist to accommodate cultures and people. Nations need to change for God. Men need to change for God. Women need to change for God. Kids need to change for God. Education needs to change for God. Churches need to change for God. Praise needs to change for God. Pastors need to change for God. Politicians need to change for God. Everyone and everything needs to change for God. But never, friend, never, never the other way around. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now folks, listen. What's true of God is true of his word. If God need not change for men, but men for God, why would you think that the converse logic would apply to the written word that is made in the word the dynamic equivalent of God himself. Say, well, you don't understand that there were some manuscripts that were found from, you know, this monastery, and yeah, you know, if if you're going to trust anything, trust a bisexual who finds manuscripts at at, at a monastery. (laughs) I mean, when lo and behold, the document pops up in the Vatican Library. Well, I mean, (laughs) need I say more? Now, Solomon, you're in big trouble, buddy. I told you not to get horses from Egypt. Horses. You tracking with me? (laughs) But, you know, you can get your Bible down there, no problem. And God places a lot more emphasis on, you know, horses than he does his word. You need to get this down about God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change, and neither does his word. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. There's something about believing every one of these words and having a testimony to God's. wonder what that's all about. Mm going to find out the JSC. Not going to be good for you if you don't believe what I believe, buddy. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and truth. Why? Mark told us last night. I magnified my word above my name. 
There shouldn't be a thing in this world that we esteem above the word of God, for there shouldn't be a thing we esteem in the universe more than the word of God, including the name of God, and yet the Bible says he's magnified his word above that. Therefore, now listen, seek ye out what? The book. We are going to find over the next three days that God consistently contextualizes the ability to have access to his words by finding it in a single source codices every time. No one of these shall fail. None shall want his mate. And as you begin to seek out that book, you got to find that book. It exists somewhere. Do you believe that? How are you ever going to find it if you don't even believe by your definition of preservation that you receive from education, if you don't even believe it's possible to have that book, then how are you going to seek it out? And how would you know if you did find it? How would you know, friend? Listen, man, can I just make this thing as simple as possible? If you agree with the premise that Satan wants to prevent the Bible from getting either into your mind or your heart, then wouldn't it follow that the primary spiritual attack in your life will be separating you either from time spent in the word or attacking your faith and wonderment and veneration of the word so that when you read it, you wouldn't do so with the same utter stupefying awe and esteem that you would have had in God's own presence listening to his own audible voice. Oh, that's crazy. You're a bibliolater. What could be more sure than God's audible voice and presence? (laughs) So glad you asked. Peter answered that question, didn't he? What did he say? Yeah, you know, I was a younger guy, and then we went up and did this whole cool, you know, transmorgification deal, and and then once that happened, you know, Elvis left the building, and it got crazy, and we see, you know, Moses and Elijah, and I said, you know, three temples, and well, that was a mistake. Because there's only been two times in history, because almost every time, God always breaks his own rules when he feels like it, doesn't let you do it. God always lets the son, the word, do the one who is the speaking. There's been two times where the father gets so upset, he goes, you know what, I got this. And the father takes the time, you know you messed up, when the father takes the time to yell at you. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's, that you've really stepped in it. <laughs> Peter said, I did that, and when I did, I heard a voice. This is my beloved son. The issue of the glory of the word of God is exclusive. You don't worship multiple sources. You worship a single source. You know what Peter said in his old age? before his earthly tabernacle was shed. We have a more sure word of prophecy than that. Oh, I guess it's true that if it was good enough for Peter, it was freaking good enough for me. Did the Thessalonians have any less wonder and admiration of God's words when Paul said of them? To receive the word of God? (laughs) Kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? Um, As the word of God. How other way would you receive it? 
It's like high view of Scripture. Well, what, what other view are you going to have? When you talk like that, you talk like a perfect idiot. And what say ye? What say ye? Do you possess that same awe and esteem and wonder and admiration? And wouldn't the lack of that awe and esteem do more to explain the failures of a conquering warrior of God's kingdom than anything else? Wouldn't a low view of God's word, no matter how high it be advertised, be the only reasonable explanation for a child of God to live in defeat? Listen, no matter how hard you might try, you can't separate God from this book, and I dare you to try. The attempt to do so theologically will always end in heresy, and the attempt to do so devotionally will surely result in idolatry. Job chapter 8, verse 29, And he that sent me is with me, the Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You separate yourself from this book and you advocate your disciple status and you choose to live in bondage. Wouldn't that be a more scriptural reason for the sin addiction in our churches and the recalcitrance and the rebellion against spiritual authority and the local church, which can only be described as part of the ecclesiastical zeitgeist of our day? And the worldly attitudes and the murmurings and the disputings and the gossip and the lies and the cursing and the blasphemy that creates the pitiable variance between what the church of God could be and what it is. I maintain that to be the greatest waste of an individual Christian's life at the judgment seat of Christ, what he could have been and what he is. And I maintain that to be the greatest waste of Laodicea having been given the pure words of God from the Philadelphian age and declined from them. Hence, our pitiable state, what we could have been and what we are. Poor and blind and miserable and naked. Well, I don't have that view of our age. I know. And that's because of your high view of Scripture. How someone can have a high view of Scripture and a high view of Laodicea fairly boggles the mind. <sighs> you separate yourself from this book, folks. You forfeit your right to even call yourself a Christian. Oh, where are you getting that from? And when Jesus had found him, Acts eleven twenty six, he brought them unto Antioch. Now, you might want to remember Antioch. You might want to remember Antioch. Well, why? <clears throat> because we're about to find out that there are two sources for manuscripts of Bibles. One of them is from Egypt. Now, in this crowd, let's just suffice it to say, that's not very good. God doesn't have a high view of Egypt. And the other source is from Antioch. <clears throat> the place where they come from in Egypt was, fi was filled with a bunch of Gnostics that were actually making emendations. That means change. 
And they were conjectural amendations. Ooh, conjectural amendations. These people are smart. They use fancy schmancy words. They have things like, they say words like textus receptus and novum testamentum grace. It's like they were all went to Hogwarts or something. <laughs> I want to talk like that. Oh, friend, fancy talk is an easy game. It's also an easy way to make dumb people think you're smart when you're as dumb as they are. Say, well, you use fancy talk, so I'm told. <laughs> you know where the term Christian comes from? comes from Antioch. You know who were called Christians? Disciples. Well, let's start deducing. If you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have no business walking around with the title Christian. And we also know that these are where the copies were made from a line of manuscripts that leads to the King James Bible. Ah, but that's external evidence. I digress. You want to trust a Bible that was written by a bunch of Gnostics in Egypt? Or do you want to trust a Bible from the stinking city where Christianity moved from Jerusalem to Antioch of Syria for the purpose of world missions? You separate yourself from this book, you separate yourself from the right to call yourself a Christian. You abandon this book, you abandon God. You abandon this book for family, you abandon this book for sleep, you abandon it for food, for entertainment, for Netflix, for pleasure, for relationship, for grades, for athletics, for sermon podcasts, for praise music, for peers, for respect, for education, for ministry support. You abandon this book for a book about the book. You abandon this book for a counterfeit book. And you know what happens? <clears throat> you lose your power. You lose your title. You lose your sincerity. You lose your honesty. You lose your integrity. You lose your covering. You lose your veracity. You lose your intimacy. And so I said before, and so say I again, you abandon this book, and I maintain you abandon God because you can't separate God from this book, and I dare you to try. I mean, after all, that's either bibliolatry or it's true. Right? You hear that cock crowing in the distance? It crows for Laodicea, friends. Crows for Laodicea. You betray this book for a career and you sell out the word for silver. Both the Bible and Jesus Christ have two natures, both human and both divine. Both the Bible and Jesus Christ produced the new birth. 
1 Peter 3, 25, uh, 23 through 25, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible, the what? The word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Both are loved, and both are hated in the same way, and by the same groups, for the same reasons. It was the religious crowd of Christ's day that worked in Congress with the secular in order to get rid of Jesus Christ. And for what reason did they want to get rid of him? You see, it didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that the world places so much of their hate onto one group of people and ignores other groups of people for the same reasons. Well, you Christians, you believe in an exclusive God. So do the Muslims. Well, you Christians believe in final authority. So do other religions. Well, you Christians, you believe, we believe what? Well, you believe in converting other people. Yeah, you Christians, you believe you're right and everybody else is wrong. Yeah, as opposed to all the people that you know who believe that they're wrong and everybody else is right. Right? Well, you King James people, you just think you're right and everybody else is wrong. That's right. And if I thought differently, if I thought I was wrong, friend, I would change what I believed. I mean, do you ever actually think about these phrases before you borrow them and regurgitate them out? I mean, do you ever actually analyze it? You don't even make any stinking sense. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is it that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Love for the word of God is connected to you keeping and loving the word of God. You can't separate the two. John 15, 25, let's come to the hate. You know why I love Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, because he first loved me. Okay, that's true. Amen. How did I know that God first loved me? Where did I receive such information? Do you know why I love Jesus Christ? Because I love this book. He that, but this cometh to pass that the world might be fulfilled that is as written, they hated me, what? Without a cause. What is the cause for you spending your life trying to give people who think this word is perfect a lower view of Scripture and then calling your position a high view of Scripture? Exactly how do you shave in the morning without cutting your own neck? There's no cause. Well, you hate other versions. I know, I have a cause. There's errors in them. You see, what you love determines what you hate. Because I love thy law, therefore I hate every false way. But you can't prove an error in this book. Well, what's the cause in the other ones? Well, I believe that David killed Goliath. Not his brother. 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the morning star, not Satan. You know, that little insignificant (laughs) variance. You know, that conjectural amendation. What does that mean? Conjecture is a guess, and an amendation is a change. You changed it on a guess. You gave that Hogwarts terminology, and everybody thinks you're godly. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I grew up in a home of people who used big words. I'm used to it. It doesn't impress me. Shut up. (laughs) They hated Christ without a cause. Who can find fault in me? For what cause do you hate? Which of you convinceth me of sin? Which of you can have... Listen, I can have point out errors in any other version of the Bible that you bring, you cannot point out an error in this book. That puts me in a tougher position on the debate, doesn't it? But yet I say it. This book alone is perfect and the other versions of the Bible aren't. Forget the external evidence. If it's wrong in the finished product, why do you care where it came from? It's wrong. I can prove yours is wrong. You can't prove mine is wrong. You say, well, I think I can. Well, friend, you pick the alley, and I'll be there. (laughs) On my dime, I'll go to your site, and you set up a podium here and a podium here, and let's get it on, friend, on one condition. You post that debate for one year on the front page of your church website and I do the same. You can't prove an error in this book and I dare you to try. People hate the incarnate word and the carnate word because of the connection that God makes to how he accounts for man's works and for the authority that it has. He spake as one having authority. Listen to this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. You know what they behold? They behold the evil and the good. They're in every place doing that. David said that when I was born... I was formed in the womb according in continuance to a record that had already been written. Well, what does that mean? What does in continuance mean? Well, it means this, friend. It means that God's word forever settled in heaven in eternity past. Oh, well, that's talking about Jesus Christ, you silly. Oh, is it? That's talking about, that was a lowercase w, wasn't it? Well, you telling me that there's an eternal little book up there? Well, that's a good question. You tell me. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take a little book which is in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and I said unto him, Give me the little book. 
And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book up in heaven out of the angel's hand, and I ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. What does that mean? Well, I don't exactly know what that means. Well, then let's just suffice it to say that if you can't tell me what it isn't, then you shouldn't be telling me what it is. Quit telling me what people think it means. Quit telling me if it makes sense that you can eat a book. I don't care what makes sense to you or me. Tell me what does it say. Quit telling me what you think it means. It says that the word is forever settled in heaven, and when somebody got up there and saw the word, it was a book, and he ate it. A book that has all of David's parts written in it and what those parts will do once they come out of the womb. And when those parts do what the book says they're going to do, it's going to say that his works are evil, but God is righteous. And men hate that. They hate it. Well, what does in continuance mean? What does all that mean? Well, before we answer the question, let's first recognize that you wouldn't even know to ask the question were it not for these words. Let's begin with that. And you keep reading, and you almost get the idea that David is saying that when he was formed in the womb after the orders of an eternal book, the chapters of those members began to tell a story of works committed by those members a record, a history to be opened and read for the purposes of a judgment. You comfortable with that? You comfortable with having that read to your kids? You comfortable with having that read to everyone you've ever church disciplined? Ooh, don't go there. You comfortable with your parents and your church members and everyone you ever secretly judged and condemned and gossiped about getting an account of that book that you co-authored by your own works? Because you're gonna, friend. You're gonna. You see that? You feel that? I did that for a reason. You see how, comfor- how uncomfortable it got in this room? The, the, the 15% of the people who did like me when I walked in here, I just lost them. You see people cutting their beady little eyes at each other? Listen, friend, this is in a room filled with people who agree with this. How do you think the world feels about that? And the books were opened and they were judged out of the book that you co-authored with your own works. Now the works of the flesh are these, the book says, Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, do I understand how all that works? Of course not. 
It's an eternal book forever settled in heaven and in a place where the laws of physics don't apply. I don't know how you physically eat a book, and I don't know how physical body parts are placed in a book, and I don't know how you tell the story of those body parts in continuance before they're born. I don't understand everything that's in this book, and I wouldn't trust it if I did because I would know that the person who wrote it is any smarter than I am. But I know this. I know people hate the idea of an eternally settled book that has the wickedness of man's body, heart, and mind recorded, declaring with final authority all the secrets of man, all the counsels and intents of his heart, all the works of his flesh, and all the thoughts of his mind to be uncovered, revealed, and judged. People hate that, and they need to get an excuse to get rid of it and change it and ignore it. Both can be received or rejected by both groups in the same way. Both claim to be all that you need. God says that he is holy and he is separate, and so his word is holy and separate and exclusive. Another idea, exclusivity, that the world absolutely hates. It runs completely contrary to the ecclesiastical zeitgeist of our age. Now listen to me, brothers and sisters, and we will close. All these people out there talking about what? Loving people. Aw. That is so sweet. You must be godly. Because that's one of the fruit of the Spirit, you know. It's being nice. People will actually think, if you smile, you're filled with the Spirit. That's what, that's what we're living in, folks. This is Laodicea. He loves people. Aw. We're just about loving people and meeting there. You ready for this one? You ready? You ready for this one? Does your church meet felt needs? <laughs> felt needs. I've, got, I've had some felt needs before, folks. That's nothing I want to talk about in public. Thank you. I know some churches that are meeting people's felt needs and meeting people where they're at. Have you ever asked yourself what that even means? Well, in our church, we just like to meet them where they're at. Where else are you going to meet them? <laughs> and growth happens in circles and not rows. What the... And building Christian community, who well we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do something new, you know, because that's what you, God does. He's doing a new thing, you know. He's doing it. Yo, who's doing it? <laughs> Freaking idiot. <laughs> well, we're gonna build Christian. Com- what else would you build? A turnpike. Well, it's about religion, not a relationship. And keeping it real. And, you know, and the church stinks, but come to our church anyway because we're not a churchy church like the other church. Or this isn't your grandfather's church. Well, I don't, does your grandfather go there? (laughs) I mean, if he doesn't go there, I suppose that would go without saying. (laughs) What do you mean? 
what these people, listen, they hate the very idea of a Christian having more faith in the Bible than they do, so they've created a whole new nomenclature to make you think they're godly when their end game is to do exactly what Satan did to Eve. They hate a Christian who has more faith than they do, that, has, that is more obedient than they are, and they will not be content until they drag you down to their level of faithlessness. They hate the very idea that God would have fulfilled his promise to preserve every one of his words in every generation in one book. Hey man, I'm cool with King Jimmy, but people in my church are just having a hard time reading Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, tell it to Josiah. These anti-religious so-called Christians hate the very idea of the same number of genuine Bibles as there are Christ's one. Are preserving his words today in as many languages as he did the Old Testament. One. And though the word of God never condemns that at all, they are absolutely convinced that to think this is by definition heresy. They hate it as much as they hate as the religious crowd of Jesus' day hated his claim to be the incarnate word of God. Now, isn't that strange? Isn't that strange, coming from a bunch of people so ardently opposed to religion? I mean, I thought the great revelation of an evangelical rallying cry of our day was, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. Well, first of all, to that sentiment, let me say, no stinking kidding. Quit acting like you just discovered plutonium or something especially after you've said it for the 800th time. But secondly, if you have the gray matter to connect those dots, then how is it that you completely missed how God chose to have a relationship with man? For it's just as obvious of an exactitude, it's just as well attested from the perspicuity of Scripture, yet somehow to this point there exists considerable less consensus. I wonder why. Do you know how God chose to have a relationship with man? By individual words. And if you don't have every word, then you can't live by every word. And without accepting the promise of preservation as a doctrine, in the same manner in which you accept all other doctrines by faith, you can never have absolute certainty. And if you don't have absolute certainty in the words of God, then at some point, do you know what you have to do? You have to put your confidence in man. And what would you be willing to wager on your finding such a man to be slithering around a tree of knowledge, claiming to believe in the plenary, verbally inspired autographer, boasting piously of his high view of scripture, hoping that you will think that when he says scripture, he means Bible. He doesn't. Questioning God's words posing as a Bible teacher who possesses special knowledge to make you more Christ-like while interpreting what God meant instead of proclaiming what God said, and all of this as but a prelude to the trafficking of his permutations of holy writ, having transformed himself into a minister of righteousness like his father before him, who transforms himself into an angel of light. No marvel, friend. No marvel. Sounds to me a lot like religion and not a relationship, oddly enough. Sounds to me like the Garden of Eden, 
where the relationship between God and man was severed and the religion of Cain's fruit stand was born. And do you know how many times Paul employs the word scriptures? Twice. I'll let you look up where he does that later. And you connect the dots. So here's a book. It is the book of books. It has been dumped right into the middle of the human race as a thorn in the flesh to all those who dare oppose it. The common hatred evangelical pastors and the Christian school faculties have for its authority is the cord that binds them to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Brothers and sisters, the fact that we are in Laodicea virtually demands we suffer those who are ignorant of God's promise to preserve each of his words in a specific order, in a specific language, in a specific book. What are we to do but to have compassion on and love and teach and instruct and be patient with them? But this petrified Laodicean malaise also carries with it the guarantee of evil men and seducers, waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, of teachers having itching ears, who turn people away from the truth, thy word is truth, unto fables, the both witting and unwitting ministers of Satan by whom the tares are sown among the weed and the leaven is cast to the lump, who in altering but a few words have come not but to steal and to kill and to destroy a relationship with God. So-called pastors and teachers who deceive in the last days by false spirits, false words, and false letters, if you believe that's possible. Cowards who once knew the truth, who once had the truth, who once taught the truth, who once held fast to the form of sound words, who once handled the word of life, but betrayed their sacred trust of standing sentinel for every word of God and keeping that which was received, the form of sound words, and doing so all while under the guise of all things ministry, trading in the book for something calling itself the book that wasn't, and they knew it when they did it, but will deny that they ever did or ever believed any of it. Why? Because they are liars. That's why. Because they have sold their inheritance for pottage, for lentils, and have abased themselves to the level of common grifters, quislings, who sold out the bride of Christ by forsaking their calling to be successful in a career. And an odd choice at that. An odd choice. Because if you believe the word of God, then the first thing you would learn about the word of God from the word of God is that the word of God can create something out of nothing. Boy, if you had that and the confidence and faith that that were true, what else would you need? That, brothers and sisters, wouldn't be a high view of Scripture. It would be the highest. In this ample volume lies the mystery of mysteries. Happy are they of human race to whom their God has given grace to read, to fear, to hope, to pray, to lift the latch, to light the way. But better had they ne'er been 
born who read to doubt, to mock, to change, to scorn. Yeah. <laughs>